If you're in a difficult relationship, I want you to tune into Love and Abuse over at loveandabuse.com just to make sure that you aren't in what might be considered an emotionally abusive relationship. If you're being told that you're responsible for all the problems in the relationship, then definitely turn this off right now and listen to that show, Love and Abuse. That's my other podcast where I tell you what's toxic and what's not. Sometimes you don't even know what you're in until someone points it out. Check it out over at loveandabuse.com. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hey, this is Paul Coliani, and I want to help you learn the skills you need to deal with life's challenges using emotional intelligence and critical thinking without compromising who you are. This show consists of my personal opinions and is meant for informational purposes only. Always seek a professional for your mental health and well-being. Wow, I feel like I'm getting my voice back. It's so good to be back um, verbally, (laughs) and I'm so glad you're here. And uh, you might hear some wind in the background. I am recording during a tornado warning, (laughs) so hopefully things go well. If they don't, it'll be a uh, show with a lot of sound effects. So let's hope we get through this. Uh, Like I said, I'm glad you're here, and um, I'm going to get right into this message that I received because it has to do with the other message I received, and we're going to kind of tie them together. This person wrote, hey, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Once again, thank you so much for your podcast and your book, The Overwhelmed Brain. The last couple of months, I have been making decisions that are more in line with my values, but I have one area that I seem to struggle with. Because of past traumas, I go into freeze mode often. That is actually not the part that I mind because I'm actively actively working on it and I can see the improvement over time. But when I feel unsafe, I start to overshare. I tell people that I'm not even comfortable with so much personal information and afterward I get anxiety attacks because I feel even more unsafe. I haven't been able to actively stop these moments yet. Do you have any tips for this? Thank you in advance. All right. Thank you for sharing all of that. You did not overshare. You shared just enough. And this is great. This is a good lesson in succinctness. So uh, take your own example here and just remember it you just gave a very good example of what it what it's like but you know this I I know you know this I know you realize this and it's a lot easier to do it over email but your oversharing is very likely a coping mechanism I actually talked about uh, oversharing in an episode a long time ago let me bring it up I think I emailed you the link here it is so I do have an episode a while back called Um, This is a very long title. See me, judge me, the distant partner with the needy partner. Stop oversharing and what is no contact. There's four segments in that episode when I used to break up my show into segments. And the third segment is called Stop Oversharing. And I talk about that there. So I would like you to listen to that. If you're an oversharer or the person who wrote, that's a good episode to start with to figure this out. Um, Like I glossed over really quick. It is a coping mechanism. It is something that makes you feel more comfortable or you think you're going to feel more comfortable. It's part of probably an old pattern of behavior, an old pattern that helps you feel like you're going to survive the moment because coping mechanisms start when we're children. Typically, a lot of them do unless you experience some huge event later on in life, but that's where it usually starts. And In order to survive the moment, because you don't know if you're going to die, even though as a child you may not understand death, but you want to survive, you want to feel safe, you want to avoid suffering, you come up with a coping mechanism. And we all have different coping mechanisms. Uh, Coping might mean uh, taking a deep breath, and that might be a healthy coping mechanism. That might be something that you do before, and I'm not giving you this advice, I'm just giving you an example of a coping mechanism. So that might be something that somebody does, like, oh yeah, before I get angry, I'm going to take a deep breath, 
And that'll allow me to reflect. It gives me some time to reflect. It um, maybe change the chemical balance of my body because I'm bringing in oxygen. And so there might be something to that, of course, for people. They might use that to cope with a situation. And then somebody else's coping mechanism might be to lash out, to yell at the other person. Because coping means I need to cope to get through this situation because I have uh, some fear or I am afraid that some, but somebody will do something to, to hurt me or I will feel vulnerable or exposed. So we get into these um, challenging events or situations in our life that bring up how we cope. And this is where our coping skills, our coping mechanisms, they uh, activate. Now, what's interesting about this is I talk a lot about this in the Healed Being program for emotionally abusive people that want to change. In that program, uh, I tell the, the, the students, I guess you could call them the people taking the program, that uh, part of the reason, or a lot of the reason, if not the main reason, you are hurtful is because you developed a coping mechanism to push your pain and fear and suffering onto someone else. And so if you don't want someone to see your deeper fears or you don't want them to know how afraid you are, you don't want them to know how vulnerable you feel or how stupid you feel, if you don't want someone to see that deeply into you, and uh, you developed a coping mechanism. You developed a coping mechanism a long time ago, like when you were a child, that uh, you learned that it was uh, a safer place for you to push and maybe intimidate or bully or lie. You learned a long time ago that that keeps you safe. Then what that does is transform into adult coping mechanisms that uh, can cause problems in adult relationships. Because as children, the coping mechanisms probably worked. Because as children, we try different things until we find out what keeps us safe. I'm not talking about every situation and every circumstance, but when you feel fear as a child, you're going to have a response or reaction, and then you're going to create some way to cope with that. And so I don't know if I'm preaching to the choir here or if you already know all this stuff, but I think it's helpful to have that background when you think about things you do today, like this person who overshares. So, oh, you know, I, I was getting my uh, tire fixed and then this guy came along and then he said all these things and I felt really scared. And I mean, that to me, I'm just making a guess what might be oversharing, even though there might be a lot of trauma in that sharing because it might have been a traumatic event. But I'm sure this person who wrote is talking about just general things about oversharing. Oh, here's my social security number. <laughs> no, probably not that that much, but she probably just shares uh, more than she needs to, almost like um, she doesn't know when to stop. If you don't know when to stop, then you're probably not really interacting and again, I talk more about this in the other episode I mentioned, but let's just kind of address it a little bit here, is that uh, you are not being consciously aware or conscious of someone else's responses to uh, your interaction or your conversation. So you are conversing, you are having a conversation, you are supposedly interacting before you're sharing or oversharing. And then at one point, you just go off on autopilot and just start sharing and sharing and sharing. Now, a coping mechanism, a defensive mechanism, a protective mechanism that kicks in, it could possibly be a way for them not to get a word in so that you keep your power, you feel safer. If they can't get a word in, then you won't be um, stuck you won't feel like you have to explain yourself. You're just going to continue talking so that they can't really interrupt or get a word in. And that makes you feel safer. Because if you feel safe, then you can get through that moment. So the oversharing part probably makes you feel safer. So this is 
I mean, there's all kinds of directions we can, we can go with this, but this is where I go when it comes to coping mechanisms is the one question, what will happen if I don't do that? What will happen if I don't overshare? What will happen if I don't lash out, if that's your coping mechanism? What will happen if I don't smoke this cigarette, if I don't uh, do some emotional eating? What will happen if I don't force the other person to think about what they did wrong so that they don't have to focus on what I did wrong? What would happen if they focused on what I did wrong? You know, this could go in a lot of ways, like I said, but that's the question. What would happen if I don't do it or if I didn't do that? That's a good question to reflect on. So you're going to have some answers. The, the immediate answers will probably not be close enough to the truth to make a change. So the immediate answer to what would happen if I didn't overshare in that moment? The immediate answer might be, well, I might get uh, afraid. I might feel anxious. I might have a heart attack because I'm having a panic attack and it feels like a heart attack. At least, you know, that's what it feels like for me. And so what would happen if that occurred? That would be my next question. What would happen if I didn't do this coping mechanism and that fear became a reality? The fear of what might happen if I didn't do that became a reality. If I didn't overshare and I felt anxious what would happen then? Well, I would feel anxious. Yes. But my next question, because this is what you're, you're doing. You're drilling into your psyche. You're drilling into the way you respond and the way you cope. And this is important for you to know so that you can start to break down the process instead of having it fly by you at lightning speed because the process of coping and your responses, the process of your reactions has steps. It takes steps, one, two, three, four, to get to the point where you start, in this case, oversharing. Coping takes steps. It's just that they've become so ingrained that it happens lightning fast. So you need to break down the steps. And in order to break down the steps, these questions uh, help you do that. What would happen if I didn't do that? And what would happen if the worst case scenario, my fears, came true? What would happen if I suffered? There's a good one. What would happen if I didn't do that and it caused me to suffer? Well, this brings up the next question. And believe me, if you're resonating with any of this and you really need to think about it, pause, (laughs) take a pause and pause this episode and really drill into this, really dive in so that you understand uh, where this is coming from, or at least how you're thinking and breaking the grip uh, that this has on you and also breaking apart the process that you go through to get there. So The next question that it brings up is, like I said, what would happen if the worst case scenario were to unfold? What would happen if um, I didn't do that and I suffered? The next question is, I'm getting there, I promise. The next question is, how is that a problem? Okay, I'm suffering. How is that a problem? You're suffering. How is that a problem? That's when you really start to break apart your tight hold on what you believe to be true. Because what you believe to be true, even subconsciously, is that uh, oversharing is the right thing to do. Even if you don't believe you have control over it, at some deeper level, you believe that oversharing is the right thing to do to keep you safe, to keep you comfortable, to help you survive the moment. But now I'm asking you to Consider not surviving the moment. My God, what would happen if I didn't do that? I might do something else. Okay, well, what would happen if you didn't do that then? Because you might go for another, or you probably will, go for another coping mechanism. Now, uh, when you get to the point where you say, okay, if I didn't do that and now I'm in pain or fear or I'm suffering 
or even I'm, I might feel bad. I might feel embarrassed. I might feel ashamed. Any of those negative feelings that we don't like, what would happen if that happened? <laughs> what would happen if you did feel pain or shame or guilt or suffer in some way? How is that a problem? Because now you have to answer how suffering or feeling any of those things is a problem. And that involves maybe some more uh, deeper level thought and reflection. Because the first answer is not usually the right answer. It's a stepping stone to the right answer. But the first answer is going to be, well, nobody wants to feel that. Nobody wants to be in pain. Nobody wants to feel anxious. Nobody wants to suffer. Yeah, that's probably true for most people. But how is it a problem for you? The generic belief is that, yeah, most people don't want to suffer. But how is it for you? How is that a problem if you suffer? What happens to you if you suffer? Well, if I suffer, I'll feel pain. And then I'll ask you, well, how is feeling pain a problem? If I feel pain, I'm afraid and I'm, uh, I'm worried. And, uh, you know, they're going to have all these replies or when you're doing this to yourself, you're going to have all these responses that come up. And this is why I love the drill down process that I talk about on this show and other episodes where you keep questioning the responses you get and the emotions you feel to the point where you finally get to the deepest part of you that is almost like the core, the origin of any of the negative negativity you feel, any of the fear, like a fear of suffering, any of the pain, any of the worries that you might have. There's a core in there. It's like um, derivation of everything that uh, drives your behaviors. Not everything, but a derivation of the steps it takes to get to the fear or uh, the, the coping mechanism. And when you drill down and get to where the origin is, the tight grip that used to have on you loosens and sometimes disappears. Because sometimes you find out uh, it wasn't what you thought at all. Most of the time, actually, it's not what you think at all. Because, for example, I, I had um, a problem with jealousy in my 20s. I'm in my 50s, for those people who don't know. In my 20s, I was a jealous person. I was possessive. So when I was in a romantic relationship, uh, my girlfriend talking to another guy would make me jealous. I look at it now and I think, well, that's silly. But back then, wow, I was afraid. What was I afraid of? That's another great first question or a question. What are you afraid of? And then, you know, later on in life, when I healed from the jealousy and the possessiveness, I asked myself, what would happen if I wasn't possessive? I could say what would happen if I wasn't jealous, but jealousy was actually the, uh, the precursor to the other actions I took. And one of the actions was my possessiveness and feeling clingy or being clingy, constantly telling them to call me when they get somewhere and tell me when they're coming home. There was a lot of uh, little controlling aspects of my personality. And I'm, I know they felt it. But this is what I had to do later on in life to figure out, well, why was I jealous? Oh, my God. And part of it was what would happen if I didn't do the behaviors that my jealousy caused me to do? What would happen if I wasn't possessive? What would happen if I didn't call them? What would happen if they didn't call me? What would happen if I uh, took a day off from being clingy? I wanted to know what would happen if I didn't do the behaviors that made them feel uncomfortable or even uh, grow out of love with me. And so these are the questions I asked myself and um, that's how I dug even deeper. So for example, what would happen if she didn't call me when she got to the restaurant to meet her friends, what would happen? So going through this now, I think, okay, back then, I would think she doesn't care about me. Whoa, <laughs> okay. What would happen then if she didn't care about you? Wow, I got to break this apart um, or drill into this. 
if she didn't care about me, I would feel afraid and I would be angry because I would want her to care about me. And well, what would happen if she didn't care about you? How is that a problem? Well, it's a problem because if she doesn't care about me, uh, then I'll feel unloved. Well, how is being unloved a problem? And this is one of those stupid answers. <laughs> like I'm going to say, nobody wants to feel unloved. I call them stupid answers. They're actually very good answers because if you can come up with these answers, but you know, we think that everyone would want that or everyone wouldn't want that, but we got to stay away from those kinds of answers. So I'm going to try to avoid the stupid answers, even though I'm going to say them anyway, because this self-questioning process makes room for that kind of response. Okay. So I'm going to say, well, everyone wants to feel love. Yeah. But why is it a problem or how is it a problem for you if you don't feel love? Well, I want to feel love. Yeah, but why? Well, when I feel love, I feel needed. Okay, yeah. What if what would happen if you didn't feel needed? What would happen if um, that person didn't love you enough to need you and, and you felt like you were unneeded? Oh, that doesn't feel very good at all. And you can see I keep drilling down and drilling into getting closer and closer to the origin of what's driving my behaviors today because our behaviors today, uh, when we have a negative reaction to something like this person overshare and she doesn't like it, she doesn't want to do it. And she, it even makes her anxious later on when we have that negative reaction, it has an origin, but we're so far removed from the origin. We're so far, um, separated from what it actually is and what we're actually responding to that if we don't, drill into it, it controls us. So this is really controlling her life. This is a coping mechanism that is controlling her life that no longer helps her cope. It may have at one time though. It may have. I mean, let's just think of an example. Maybe she um, talked a lot when she was younger to avoid getting spanked, getting hurt in some way by an adult or maybe another kid. Maybe she learned that talking a lot was the way to keep herself uh, out of harm's way. And she could have also witnessed her mom or her dad or some other adult or somebody else talking a lot to keep themselves out of harm's way and learned it through that, you know, observing their behavior and taking it on as your own and trying it out. And it worked, so you keep doing it, but uh, you never forget it. It's just, like I said, it becomes ingrained. So you do the behavior over and over and over again. And these, these are the kinds of things that I had to learn about myself. Why am I causing my partner to feel guilty? Why am I doing that? That's a coping mechanism so that I don't have to face uh, the, the idea that I might have to change who I am. And they might see a part of me that they don't like, and I don't want that to happen. So what I'm going to do is cause them to feel guilty so that they focus on themselves and I don't have to worry about changing myself. That's emotional abuse, in case anyone is curious about that. But my coping mechanisms turned into emotional abuse. Now, this person's coping mechanism is very self-focused. She's not trying to push it onto someone else. In fact, it sounds like she's doing her best not to make anyone else feel anything. In fact, I, would, I might go down the road of saying she is trying to control them by doing behaviors that uh, she believes will make them act a certain way. It's not emotionally abusive. It's just a protection for herself. I need to protect myself from a certain behavior that they might do that would cause me to suffer in some way. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to protect myself by doing something that I know always works. But she may not have understood that her oversharing was causing uh, her to control other people. And it doesn't mean that they're out of control. It just means that uh, she has decided that this behavior helps her get through a challenging situation so that she doesn't have to deal with the pain or the suffering or the fears. I mean, I'm doing some armchair analysis here, but this is my take on this, my viewpoint. And so what do you do about that? You do the drill down, you, you question yourself, 
trying to break it apart because it has a tight grip on you now and all these behaviors go by lightning fast, at least all the steps it takes to get to this coping mechanism that kicks in goes by lightning fast. So in order to slow that down, we have to break it apart with those kinds of questions. And those will help you understand the origin because the origin is almost always in childhood. That's when we are developing the best and the worst of us. (laughs) That is when we are doing things that will probably end up in our life as wonderful or detrimental. That's when we are creating function or dysfunction. But as a kid, it's not dysfunctional. It's not toxic. It's not bad. It just helps us get through those moments. So it is very helpful today as an adult to look back and ask ourselves, is the behavior that I did as a child uh, still effective today? Is it healthy today? Is it helpful today? Does it really help me? Or has it become a detriment? Has it become toxic to either me or them? Or is this a behavior that I need to stop because it's no longer effective? And I know what this person's going to say. She goes, well, I know this isn't effective. It's driving me nuts. It's causing panic attacks. I know it's not effective. The problem happens when you still believe it is effective because uh, parts of your childhood are still running your adult life. Some people call that the inner child. The inner child is running the show in some areas of your life. So if you have an inner child that believes this is how I'm supposed to respond, this is how I'm supposed to act because it helps me, it helps me survive the moment, it helps me get through without pain or fear, then it's time to reevaluate that. These are the kinds of things I had to think about. Like, okay, I developed this as a child for what purpose? And I would think about, okay, my stepfather, he would yell and scream and he was an abusive alcoholic and I had to stay away from him in any way possible. And I knew for a fact, because I saw my mom do it, so not only did I learn this, but I saw her do it too, I knew for a fact that if we killed him with kindness, not killed him, but (laughs) we were very, very kind to him and we people pleased him, we would not be harmed. And I became the ultimate people pleaser, which also destroys relationships. I have episodes on that too. But when you, or at least when I became the ultimate people pleaser, I brought that coping mechanism into my adult relationships and uh, basically showed the world that I had no boundaries. And that also led to emotionally abusive behavior. I have a whole dysfunctional history. (laughs) You can tune into any of the episodes of The Overwhelmed Brain. Of course, love and abuse, you'll hear me talk about it. But there's a lot that we bring in from childhood that aren't useful today. And it is helpful to think along those lines when you have a behavior that is not useful or makes you anxious, it makes you afraid, it makes you angry, whatever it is. Whatever the behavior does to you, like this person makes her anxious, Whatever it is, you have to ask yourself, is this useful anymore? Because sometimes it is a choice. Well, it's always a choice. I'm going to give you this. It's always a choice to do the behaviors because if you didn't have a choice, I wouldn't receive a message saying, I want to stop this behavior. So it is a choice, but the the thought of stopping it is too scary. And so the choice becomes to do it. I I know I'm going to get some Uh, feedback on that, maybe not so uh, supportive feedback, because some people are going to say, it's not a choice, it just happens. You're right, it does. A lot of the times, it's unconscious, and it just kicks in. That's why I was talking about lightning fast. But when you start questioning it the way I'm sharing today, what ends up happening is that you become conscious and conscientious of the steps it takes to get to that coping mechanism before it even starts to do anything to your behavior. You get into your psyche, your subconscious mind that helps you break apart the tight grip that you have on it and your mind has on it. And when you go through this process, when you start to break it apart like this, 
you start to understand the steps it takes to get there because it's starting at a point very deep inside of you. And if you're able to discover, reveal, uncover that origin, then the rest of it kind of falls apart. It may still be there and you may still do the behavior, but that actually turns into habit and it actually is something that becomes more of a choice. So this is where I'm trying to get you to get to the point where you actually have a choice to do the behavior or not. Because right now it feels like you don't. And when you break it apart, like I was talking about, then you do. Because I believe that all behaviors, uh, there is some benefit to almost all behaviors. For example, people-pleasing is a dysfunction in many cases. I, I can attest to this for my entire life. But now I can choose to be a people-pleaser at the right time for the right reasons that uh, aren't dysfunctional. My choice makes me in control of my dysfunctions. <laughs> it's not really a dysfunction if you use it for good, if you use it for healthy reasons. For example, I might choose to be a people pleaser when um, I'm in a dangerous situation. That would be very helpful. That's a very helpful tool. That dysfunction turns into a helpful tool, but it's still a choice or and it's still a choice. And that's the important part. It needs to be a choice. And I want you to start thinking about any coping mechanism that you have. And you may have to learn what your coping mechanisms are. But anything that you have that when you do it, you don't feel very good about it or it's not giving you the results that you want in life. I want you to think about it being a choice and making a different choice. And you can kind of go through the visualization. I've said this before, but it's a great question. A visualization of what would I do or say if I had absolutely no fear of the consequences? That's a good visualization because this person who overshares, she probably wants to do or say something else. And instead of doing or saying something else, she instead does her coping thing. She overshares. She talks about too much and she shares too much. She expresses too much. So yes, when you do a coping mechanism, there is a, an alternative to your coping mechanism. There's an alternative to your next response, reaction, or behavior. And that alternative it is in line with the question, what would I do or say if I had absolutely no fear of the consequences? And uh, then you go through it in your mind. What would I do? Uh, I would probably take a step back and look at them. And then I would say, you know what? When you just said that, um, it made me angry whoa, I don't want to do that. That's um, bringing up my fear of confrontation. Yeah, could be, could be. And this is what happens when you start asking yourself questions and going through this process is that you discover other fears that are attached to it or associated with it. Okay, so what would I say if I had absolutely no fear of the consequences? I would say, you know what? You're being a jerk. That's what I would say. But instead I overshare because I don't want to face my fear of confrontation. Mm, fear of confrontation. There's another a coping mechanism, right? Because it's going to uh, elicit actions or behaviors in us that we're going to do in order to um, avoid confrontation. So what do you do to avoid confrontation? Dig into that, drill down, and you'll discover some more stuff inside. And uh, this is all part of the process of revealing what's driving your behavior. It's all part of the process of revealing what triggers you and what scares you and why you do the things you do. And when you start to uncover this stuff, you start to change your behavior because you have more choices. You have a choice in how to respond and how to react, how to show up in life, how to communicate with somebody else in more effective ways. I really don't like fear driving my life. I, in fact, hate it. You're not supposed to hate. I hate fear driving my life. When fear drives your life, you make decisions based on fear instead of what you want, instead of what you love, instead of who you are, instead of being an in integrity, being in alignment with what you value, being an in integrity with yourself. When you base your responses, your actions, your behaviors, everything you do and say on fear, then you usually get 
more of the same of what you don't want. And when you base it on what you love, what you care about, and what you want in your life, and how you want people to treat you, when you base it on your boundaries and what you value, you usually get more of what you want in your life. You usually get more of a happier result, even though the initial point of honoring yourself and showing up that way can be scary as hell. And I have learned to take risks. Risks to me were saying what was on my mind. That was a risk to me. You know, it probably wouldn't have killed me. Maybe. But I decided to take risks. When my boss was yelling at all the employees and yelling at me, I decided to take the risk and say, I really don't want to be yelled at. (laughs) Who says that to their boss? Who says things that uh, could get them fired? That was my belief. Who says this stuff? That's scary. I I don't want to be fired. I need money. (laughs) I need a job. And I started changing things for myself by deciding that my integrity, my values, my boundaries, everything about what makes me, me, was more important. That doesn't mean I told everyone off. That doesn't mean I just gave everyone the finger and walked away. That's not always how it goes. (laughs) Sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it involves you getting upset. Sometimes it involves you getting angry and taking the risk of being who you are. Now, like I say on my other show, Love and Abuse, always pick your battles wisely. If you absolutely will not be able to survive if you aren't getting paid and you decide to tell your boss off and think that they won't fire you, it might not happen. They might fire you, they might not. But if you aren't ready to take the risk, I'm not saying to take it. I personally, I, I take the risk. That's just me. And I go through the pain. I climb the mountain really fast and wear myself out right at the beginning instead of taking the long way. And what I mean by that is I uh, try to fail as fast as I can and try to wear myself out and and feel the pain as fast as I can so that I can get over the hump, get over the mountain, so the rest of it can be downhill. That's like I haven't talked back to this toxic person ever, so today I'm going to do it. Today I'm going to climb that mountain really fast and just get it over with. I'm going to be in pain. I'm going to feel the shin splints. I'm going to be suffering. I'm going to be out of breath. But at least I will have done it to get over that peak. And the rest of it can be downhill. It may not all be downhill from there, but I will have gotten past the hardest part, my fears. There's so much to expand on there, and I hate to leave it there, but I'm going to because I'm just going to allow this show to conclude because I do have another email. I'm going to read it during the outro of the show called the outro. Everything's happening at the end. (laughs) In fact, those of you who think the show ends right now, I got news for you. (laughs) You're missing out sometimes on a lot of information. If you don't listen past my thank yous and my goodbyes, but here I go back in a moment to say my thank yous and my goodbyes. And uh, another question, my final words, right after this. Be right back. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank our patrons of the week, Crystal, Angel, Chris, Michelle, Emily, Fetzile, Wanda, uh, Dilek, um, Victoria, Maria, Sally, Andy. I really hope I got your names right. Thank you so much for your support. These are the patrons. I read new names every week, and uh, I am grateful for their financial support of the show. And if you value the show like these patrons do and you feel the need to give back, you certainly can. Head over to moretob.com, and you have the option to do that, and you can be part of the patron program. I appreciate all of you patrons. Thank you so much for your support. And I'm going to read you a couple of, um, what are these? I'll just read them. (laughs) I'm not sure what they are. Paul, I just read your article, My Healing Journey from Being an Emotional Abuser. That's right. I wrote an article um, a couple years back 
that actually talks about my journey from stopping the emotionally abusive behavior and some of that I talked about today. And this person said, I've never felt so more impacted by text in my life. I had to thank you for your vulnerability, honesty, and insight. I too have been an emotional abuser. I also felt the need to vomit from my own behavior once I realized how destructive I've been. He's referring to um, how I felt sick once I discovered how awful I was treating my partners and my wife when I was married. He goes on to say, I don't know if I have the words to express the waves of emotion and realization that hit me when going through some of your thoughts, but I took many, many screenshots and I'll be reading this article many more times. Thank you sincerely. Thank you for sharing that. And um, wow, you know, this is the kind of message I love to see that the people that are, uh, let's just say difficult, (laughs) these are the difficult people, the emotionally abusive people doing behaviors that are making other people's lives miserable and their own. You, you make your own life miserable when you are uh, hurtful to anyone else because what are you doing? You're creating an environment of hurt. And so this person read that article and uh, it turned out to be a very popular article. A lot of people resonate with it. And um, he is thanking me. So I am, I'm just reading this to you because I, I love receiving messages from people who were the perpetrator of the behavior and now they don't want to be anymore. That's important for all of us. It's important. If you, I mean, there's a lot of resources for the victims of emotional abuse. My podcast, loveandabuse.com, definitely one of those resources. But I realized there needed to be a resource for the perpetrators of that hurtful behavior as well. And so when I get messages like this, it always, always warms my heart. It was the journey I took and I always tell people it has made me so much lighter. I'm not in constant trigger mode. Like I used to be in constant state, like a hair trigger mode. And I would constantly focus on the other person, waiting for them to change and wanting them to change and doing things to make them change. And um, when that stopped, when I stopped doing all that, when I healed, I just felt like a completely new, different person. I thought, this is what I've been missing all my life I've been worried about what the other person is going to do to make me happy and I finally was able to let all of that go and then I had to find something else to do with my brain (laughs) I had to figure out what am I going to do with all this free space in my brain that used to be occupied waiting for other people to change so I feel so much better now I don't have to think about anyone else changing I just have to accept them for who they are and if I don't like it, then that's me. You know, If I have a problem with them, then that's my problem. That's my philosophy. If I have a problem with somebody else, that's my problem, not theirs. So I'm not going to make it theirs. So thank you to the person who wrote that. I am grateful that you wrote that. I am so glad that you're on this journey. And I wish you much strength and healing going forward to make yourself feel better and to make those around you feel safe, love and um, supported for who they are. Good on you, my friend. And somebody else wrote and said, over the last year, I transitioned out of a three and a half year toxic relationship. I moved many miles away and um, let me see what else to say. I repeatedly heard I've changed only to be re-engaged in the cycle of abuse. I found the overwhelmed brain in the summer of 2022 and through, uh, oh, through the podcast, Love and Abuse. During this time, I had already moved home, but it was educating myself about emotionally abusive behavior at the suggestion of my therapist. I can't tell you how thankful I am to have found your podcast, which have served as validation for my choice of finally ending a relationship. Um, She's had zero contact since last year. As somebody in the business world and She gave me her title, but I'm trying to protect her identity here. As somebody in the business world, I consider myself to be an educated woman, yet I had no idea what was happening when I was in it. Today, I'm still engaged in my healing process, but I know confidently that I'll be not repeating the cycle of emotional abuse ever again. Thank you so much for your work. Thank you for that. This is the other side of the coin, and I I read those two back to back because there is healing on both sides. In fact, I just heard from someone today asking me, is it 
too late to start the healing? Is it ever too late to heal? I think that's how they asked it. Is it ever too late to heal from being in an abusive or toxic relationship? And I said, never. It's never too late. Never too late to heal. Because what happens when you leave a toxic relationship is uh, first, you are so foggy and confused, typically, that you're not sure if if you made the right decision or if your decisions are sound. And this stays in your mind. It's a fogginess that stays in your mind between two and four months. I've given it a timeline. This is typical. This is what I've seen. Two to four months. After you leave a very difficult or toxic relationship, it takes two to four months for the fog to lift. And that means that you aren't thinking clearly until then. You do not have clarity until then. So you have to wait for the fog to lift. What is the fog? Every thought you have involves the other person in some way. That's the fog. So after you leave a toxic relationship, you think, okay, uh, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure what to do. Uh, you know, what, what would happen if I did this for myself? What would they think? That's where the fog really permeates our brains is that we're involving them in our decision-making process, even though they're not in our life. What would they think? How would they react? How would they respond? I don't want to have to deal with that, so I'm not going to do it. I don't want to have to deal with their reaction, so I'm not going to do it. That's the fog. Because as soon as the fog lifts, you're not thinking like that anymore. So you have to give yourself time for the fog to lift. And until then, your thoughts will not be accurate most of the time. Unless your thought is, I made the right decision. I mean, you're going to be clear on some things. And some people will be more clear sooner. Some people will know right away. They'll, they'll be very clear right away. But when there's been a lot of trauma and a trauma bond has developed, where you mix love and abuse and you think in order to be loved, you also have to accept the abuse. I mean, it's a bigger issue than that, but that's kind of what a trauma bond is. You're traumatized in your love and it all becomes meshed together. When there's been something like that for a while, it takes a little while to snap out of that. And so you uh, just give yourself time. And I read this one in particular because the smartest, the kindest, the happiest people, if they get into a toxic relationship, it wears them down, it wears them out. And it makes them question themselves. And of course, their happiness, it disappears. And when all of that happens to a lively, robust, vibrant, happy, intelligent person, wow, I mean, that just, you feel like everything that you've worked for is now destroyed because you're in this stupid relationship. And that's what they might think. Sometimes it is. You're in a stupid relationship and uh, now you don't feel yourself anymore and now you got to rebuild who you are. So you get out of the relationship, you wait for the fog to lift and now you got to rebuild who you are. And oh my God, will I ever get back to who I was? I used to be uh, carefree. I used to be happy. Maybe not carefree, but I used to be happy and I used to make decisions really quick. But now I have to be careful And I hate that hesitation in me. I hate it. But this is what happens. You just have to rebuild who you are so that you can reinforce yourself and reinforce that it's okay to be who you were. It takes time, but you can do it and you will do it, but you will be smarter. (laughs) You're already smart, but now you'll be smarter when you get out of that relationship and you start to look back and think, okay, what I miss? What were all those damn red flags? What were they? Ah, this one, this one, this one. When they first said this, I should have said that. I didn't. Red flag. I'll just mark that. This doesn't mean I was stupid. I just, I wasn't educated in the field of difficult, toxic, or abusive people. So now I know. And I'm going to take this knowledge with me and I'm going to build upon who I was as I rebuild who I was and become who I want to be again and be stronger than ever because I'm going to have more knowledge than I ever did. 
So thank you to those two people who wrote. I am so grateful you are getting into a better space. You are in a better space and your life's only going to get better from here. So anyway, if you're looking for a show on how to deal with difficult relationships, head over to loveandabuse.com. And if you know you're the difficult one in the relationship, head over to healedbeing.com. I think those are going to be important resources for certain people out there. And if that's you, I wish you, again, much strength and healing through whatever you're going through. Finally, thanks to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And I did want to read one more email. I said at the very beginning, I have two emails today. Um, I actually already read a few, but this was had to do with um, the first segment. Person wrote, I had severe anxiety for a long time and your podcast has really helped me. So firstly, thank you so much for all you're doing. You're welcome. Thank you for sharing that. I've only just started your podcast, so I'm listening to your older episodes. Uh, 2014 now. She's listening to way, way, way back. In the episode, Clearing the Path to Happiness, you mentioned feeling all your negative feelings at once and more strongly than ever. A lot of my negative emotions uh, have mainly to do with shame and embarrassment. I'm a sensitive person. I remember all the times someone has criticized or disapproved me of me, even from my childhood. And I replay those moments often and relive the shame every time. Time has given me perspective. And if I'm being rational, a lot of it isn't even a big deal. But I can't help feeling embarrassed when I think about it. My question is, if I already have self-esteem issues, will feeling my shame intensely really help me? Or should I tackle these feelings another way? I appreciate your feedback and thank you. All right. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I am I'm kind of chuckling right now because she said, uh, please don't reply with a TLDR. Like, it's too long. I didn't read. <laughs> it's really short. And I think she said that as a joke. So thank you for sharing that. And I'm sorry that you're dealing with this. And you ask a very important question. Uh, if I already have esteem issues, will feeling my shame intensely really help me? Probably not. <laughs> I don't want you to feel your shame intensely. And in fact, if I ever said that, I take that back. Because I don't want you to have to re-experience traumatic emotions. I don't really think I said that, did I? Well, I might have said that for the purpose of when you experience the emotion today, it's going to feel different because you're a different person, you're in a different space, just like you were sharing that um, you now think about it in a different way. You, you said you're a sensitive person, um, but you uh, relive the shame every time, but time has given you perspective, and you say, if I'm being rational, a lot of it isn't even a big deal. So that's probably part of what I was saying. It's, this was a long time ago, but uh, it's pretty similar to what I used to do, which is, yes, I would actually turn on whatever emotion I felt back then and experience it like uh, to the greatest level I could. If it was shame, I might feel, I might amplify it. I, I might have said that in that show. I might amplify that shame like, okay, I'm going to experience that shame even more and even more. But there's an end point and there's a limit and there's a point where it becomes ridiculous because how much shame can you possibly endure or how much of anything can you possibly endure that's something that you don't like to feel so I, I don't remember exactly what I said in that episode but I do know what the episode was about I wrote a little ebook on it the same material and it really is about happiness is intrinsic happiness is inside you and there are all kinds of obstacles to feeling it but you shouldn't uh, try to seek it. You shouldn't try to seek happiness because it's already there. But what you have to do is get through the obstacles. So that might mean removing all the obstacles from the path. That's why I say clearing the path to happiness. Happiness is inside you. You were born with the ability to feel it because I bet you as an infant, you were laughing at one point. At one point, you were laughing. So happiness, you're born with it. So it's in there. But what happens is over time, we fill up the path with obstacles, with old 
uh, traumas that we experienced, with uh, triggers that we feel, with coping mechanisms that I talked about today. And we put all these obstacles in the way so we don't feel happiness, so we don't feel happy. So in order to get that, and this is something I experienced in my own life, I have to clear those obstacles. I have to clear the path. And in order to clear the path, I have to deal with my stuff. She has to deal with her shame. She has to deal with her embarrassment. And the person that wrote, I'm going to help you right now, I did create at least a couple episodes on shame or embarrassment. Just go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com, type in the word shame, you'll find an episode or two. Type in the word embarrassment, you'll find an episode or two. And that's going to that's gonna be my best suggestions for helping you through this. No, I don't think if you have low self-esteem that you should fill yourself with shame without being guided. I don't like the idea of filling yourself with shame at all. I'm not saying that you should do that anyway because some people can do that and get through it and be okay because now they experience it and that gives them an idea of what they were going through. And again, there was more to it. I'm not going to get into it here, but no, if you have low self-esteem already, then there's other things that you need to take care of first, like knowing that you're all that, knowing that you're a catch. These are ways to build your ego in a healthy way. What I mean by that is, let's just say that you're rejected for a date. Some people will look inward and go, oh, must be me. Other people that have a healthy ego, or maybe even an inflated ego, will say, I know it's them. But the healthy ego will say, it's not me, it's them. And the deflated ego, or the, low, the person with low self-worth, or low self-esteem, will say, I know it's me. So we can play this game with ourselves. If we don't feel good about ourselves, we're going to blame ourselves. We're going to say, it must be me. I wore the wrong perfume or cologne. I, I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. I'm too tall. I'm too short. My voice sounds funny. Uh, I have a lot of things to be embarrassed about. I've got this big mole on my nose. I got this big uh, rash on my cheek. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we uh, can blame ourselves for or tell ourselves that uh, there's something wrong with us. So therefore, that's what they are seeing. Because when we look in the mirror or when we think about who we are, we're micromanagers or we're micro observers of our behaviors, of our looks, of our problems. We, we see more problems than good. And uh, when we do that, of course, we're going to continue to feel bad. And we're going to continue to point at ourselves as the problem and the reason that uh, either somebody doesn't want us or somebody doesn't like us or we didn't get that job or we don't make enough money or whatever. We're going to blame ourselves when we have low self-worth and low self-esteem. And by the way, I go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com. I have episodes on low self-worth and low self-esteem that you definitely need to listen to if you're dealing with that. I remember that's who I was. I had low self-worth when I was younger. So I believe I deserved some of the behaviors that um, people were doing to me. So I had to get past that. I had to move through that and become someone who, um, I don't know, I had to raise my ego. That's all I could say. I had to increase it in a healthy way. I had to bring it up to the point where I had enough ego that I felt good about myself. Enough ego means you feel good about yourself, but you don't think you're better than anyone else. I mean, that's not a real definition, but that's how I feel about it. I think you have enough ego when you feel really good about yourself, but you don't think you're better than anyone else. It's almost like you have compassion for yourself and you see the good in you and you know you're great. You know that you deserve goodness and greatness. And when you see yourself that way, it can improve your life. So coming back to this person who wrote, she said, um, I, I already have self-esteem issues. Will feeling shame intensely really help me or should I tackle these feelings in another way? Um, I'm going to come right back and tie it to the first segment and ask you to go through that drill down process of questioning. Now, it's going to be a little different because you're not necessarily talking about a coping mechanism, although 
uh, I could argue that it might be like shame might be a coping mechanism. Like if I feel shame, then it prevents me from something that something might be, it prevents me from feeling something else. It prevents me from, um, healing because maybe I don't believe I deserve to heal. It prevents me from having to confront somebody about the way they made me feel. Sometimes these emotions happen inside of us and uh, they happen in, for a reason that we probably would never attribute it to. Like, I feel shame because I don't want to talk to this person. Well, if you're busy feeling shame, it might prevent you from doing that because you're blaming yourself. Shame is all about blaming yourself. So if I feel shame, that must mean I blame myself for something. And if I blame myself for something, uh, why would I do that? Why am I blaming myself? Well, I, I take responsibility. Okay, that might be true. But why do you feel shame? I'm not saying that you shouldn't feel shame. I hope you don't in the future really quick. But it's a good question. Why do I feel shame? What am I blaming myself for? And how about by blaming myself, I continue to uh, have this benefit. I'm going to try to word these questions in a way that are helpful. And what I mean by that is, let's just say that there was a benefit to feeling shame. What is the benefit? If I feel shame, I get to avoid blank. Drill into that. (laughs) If I feel shame, it prevents me from having to do what? I'm not saying all of these are true. I'm not saying they apply to you. But it's important to start to loosen the grip that this shame or whatever other feelings you have on yourself, starting to loosen the grip so that you can start living life without it. Wouldn't that be nice? Start living life without shame? If I didn't have shame in my life, what would that be like? So something caused you to feel shame, obviously. And so when you think about what caused you to feel that shame, what can you do, first of all, to make amends or make up for it? Is there anything you can do? If not, if you can't think of anything, then I highly recommend to go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com, look up the word forgive, And you'll find my episodes on forgiveness because a lot of when we blame ourselves for something and we feel guilty and we feel shame, um, it's important to understand the thought of forgiving yourself. I'm not talking about forgiving other people. I'm talking about forgiving yourself for how you showed up back then. Because often, if not always, or at least almost always, When we did something that we feel shame or regret or guilt about, we believe we could have shown up differently and we might have anger or or upset toward ourselves. And what ends up happening is that we think that it's not necessary to forgive ourselves because maybe we think uh, we shouldn't have done that and I can't forgive myself because that means letting it go. But that's what keeps us in shame and guilt and also keeps us from increasing our own worth and self-esteem because we're stuck in the thought that we should be blamed and we should be or we should feel guilty or feel shame. We get stuck in that pattern and that pattern repeats because we never choose to forgive ourselves a break. I forgive myself a break for how I showed up back then. I should have known better, but I forgive you, Paul. I forgive you. I'm letting you go because now you do know better and now I know that you will never do that again. In fact, you'll do the opposite of what you used to do. (laughs) You'll do the opposite. For example, I was hurtful to my partners in the past. I'm doing the opposite of that now. I am so supportive. I do everything I can. I mean, I I hope my girlfriend agrees. (laughs) I do everything I can to show that person I support who they are, who they want to be. I support their decisions. Even when I disagree with them, I support everything about them. And I I want them to feel that support. I want them to feel happy. So to get past my own shame and my own guilt for the abusive behavior that I used to do to people I loved, I, I decided to do the opposite and make that my healing path for myself to make sure that I'm not stuck in the past because 
who wins if you hold on to shame or guilt or regret? Who wins? Nobody. You can't give enough of yourself to the people who love you today, and you can't give enough of yourself to yourself because you're stuck in the past and you're dwelling on it and it's there. And I'm not putting anyone down. I'm not putting you down, the person who wrote, for, for doing this. You, you still get up, get past this obstacle. Clear that path to happiness, yes. And so this obstacle, I'm hoping that the resources I'm uh, naming right now and the information I'm sharing right now is one step away from that old dwelling in the old past that is, it doesn't sound like it's serving you. And it is time to maybe forgive yourself and move on. Give yourself a break for how you showed up back then. Because if you knew, if you knew better back then, you would have done better. If you knew better, you would have done better. But you didn't. Even if you knew better back then and you didn't do the right thing, it's still something that you couldn't have done anyway because if you could have, you would have. And there's nothing you could do about that then. So now is the time to invest in yourself. Show yourself how worthy you are, damn it. <laughs> Show yourself how lovable you are, damn it. I love you. You are worthy. You are going to get past this and through this and put all your energy into today and the people that love you today and love yourself and show people that you are worthy of love. And those who love you want you to feel this way about yourself. They want to see the whole you. They want to see the complete you. They want to see you in the now. And you can show up in the now and show them who you really are today and not only parts of yourself because you can't get past this old stuff. And I know there's a lot of work involved here. I'm not saying it's a simple step, but you will get through this. And I've got plenty of episodes to help you out there. And maybe a little bit of what I said helped you out right now. Well, if it didn't, you know what to do. Just keep an open mind. That's how you can step into your power and create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. <laughs>